Well, Cairngorm is home. You know, you, you come here and you start living here and you just feel at home here. And I think one reason for that is the people and the community, but also to me, it's just the, the landscape. You know, we've got wonderful marshes, wonderful woodlands, you know, particularly the birch woodlands and the pine woodlands, lovely open moorland. And then you can go up to the Cairngorm Plateau where you've got a very unique habitat that uh, you've got very, very few other places. And it's all of that. And I'm lucky that's all on my doorstep. Hi folks, so welcome to episode two of RickCast, a podcast that's all about the front line of insects conservation in Britain's largest national park, the Cairngorms. This week we're going to be talking about the people who make the rare invertebrates in the Cairngorms project as special as it is. So we're going to be introducing to you some of the experts and some of the people behind the project who helped it start and who helped steer it along its way. And then in the following episode, we'll be hearing from some of the volunteers who actually make the project happen and go out and do all that hard work. Without further ado, I'd like to first introduce to you Tom Prescott from Butterfly Conservation. I am uh, Tom Prescott, I am the Senior Conservation Officer for Butterfly Conservation Scotland and I'm lucky enough to work at home in Kingusi in the middle of the wonderful Cairngorms. We try to save and conserve the country's butterflies and moths. So we have uh, 1300 species in Scotland but we tend to do most of our work on the ones that we believe are the most threatened. And we do that mainly through our wonderful army of volunteers who go out and do lots of survey and monitoring work. But we also engage with lots of uh, landowners and land managers and farmers and foresters and try to help them to manage their land so that it enhances the habitats for the butterflies and moths. Cool. And so how did you end up being involved with butterfly conservation? Have you always loved butterflies ever since you were a kid or... Is it something that you've always been involved in with conservation or how did you come here? How did I come here? Yeah. Well, not, not by, uh, not the way that most people get here. I, uh, I've always been interested in being outdoors rather than indoors. I went to school and then to university, but I did engineering. I then stayed in the sausage machine and did a PhD in engineering and then realized the error of my ways and went to volunteer for the RSPB while I decided what to do and uh, then was offered a job by them and I was lucky enough to work for the RSPB for 10 or 12 years mainly in Scotland and then a job came up uh, with butterfly conservation and my passion then was more with butterflies and moths than it was with birds and I lucky, luckily enough uh, jumped ship and uh, that's where I am today. And what is it that makes you passionate about Lepidoptera? Um... Is it, is it the beauty of them or is it the behaviour or is it the chase, trying to find them? Like what's it that kind of drives you to do what you do? It's all of that and more. I mean, I, I am completely fascinated by them. I suppose I was once fascinated with birds, but if you are into birds and you're looking for uh, a wetland bird, you just go to a wetland and there they are. Or if you're looking for a woodpecker, you just go to a wood and there's your woodpecker. Whereas butterflies and moths are just much fussier and you've got to be far more of a detective to look for them. 
many, many species we know so little about. And it's quite easy or relatively easy in Scotland, as your project has shown, to find new sites for these things. Um, and you can find out new insights into their lifestyle and their ecology. And some of them just have such bizarre and um, yeah, just incredible life cycles. Um, so I just find it really, really fascinating and absorbing. And also a lot of them are very, very beautiful, you know, very, very wonderful insects. And you can get up close and personal with them. You know, if you go out looking for birds, you've got to be quiet. If you go out looking for butterflies and moths, you can wear whatever and run around and scream and yolla and <laughs> and it's brilliant. Um, and um, do you have a favourite species? My favourite species is always the one I'm looking at, but probably, <laughs> I must admit, Kentish Glory, you can't really beat a Kentish Glory. Funnily enough, Kentish Glory is one of the species that we work on on this project. It used to be found across the UK, but is now only restricted to the Cairngorms National Park and its surrounding area. This is due, we believe, to habitat loss and habitat fragmentation, and climate change potentially has a part to play as well. Its flight period is from April to May, and so we're just coming towards the end of its flight period now, and the volunteers are starting to get out and look for eggs and caterpillars. Once the volunteers have gone out and found new sites for Kentish Glory, we can then contact the landowners and land managers and let them know they've got this incredible species on their land. This means we can then provide the advice needed to ensure that the habitat remains intact and that we can expand the habitat that they need as well. This means trying to encourage not only forest expansion but forest diversity. Yes, we need more trees but we need really diverse woodland as well because only with diverse woodland habitat can we cater for all the wonderful wildlife that we've got in Scotland and improve the survival chances of these really, really rare and endangered species. We're now going to speak to Matthew from the Cairngorms National Park Authority. The National Park are a key partner on this project. They not only provide some of the funding, but they also provide a lot of the guidance I'm uh, Matthew Hawkins, I'm the Conservation Manager for the Cairngorms National Park Authority. And what do you do at the National Park? Well, as the Conservation Manager, I manage the team, including landscape advisors and ecology advisors. Um, and the team uh, as a whole delivers on the Cairngorm Nature Action Plan. So we've just been uh, compiling the, uh, the latest one, which will be published in the spring. Um, and then it's our job to help um, coordinate all the partners to help deliver the plan. So the Cairngorms National Park Authority has a pretty big job. Um, it's uh, sort of the, you look after the biggest national park in Britain. What do you think is, has been the biggest success of the national park and also the biggest challenge? You're, you're quite right. It is a, it is a big job. Um, and I would probably say one of the biggest successes of the authority uh, has been to pull people together to try and coordinate that action. And I think the action plan really demonstrates that. We have so many stakeholders who are working toward delivering that, including the RSPB and Bug Life and Plant Life and all these organisations. But more, even more than that, um, it's about the ability to, to create a focus around it and then to get 
people to volunteer where they feel inclined to give people information so as well as the conservation work itself it's about communication and getting people to uh, really get involved in nature conservation if they want to i think that's one of the biggest biggest successes and biggest challenge biggest challenge um there are lots of challenges within the park for conservation of course <clears throat> some that we can't uh, solve ourselves like climate change and things like that um, but again I think the biggest challenge is in um, getting solutions to conservation finding solutions that work for people as well as um, natural heritage um, and making it work for everybody and so it, um, so that communities and businesses understand that it's in their best interest to make sure that we look after our environment every national park in the uk is completely different that's actually what is so wonderful about the collection is they are utterly different and they all have their own sets of challenges i'm sure we have a lot in common um i think one of the things that is always a good idea again is for national parks to talk together uh, so that we come together occasionally uh, as ecology groups uh, and we share experiences and we try and recognize best practice and share good ideas mm. and then we try and share that again outwards so that we can um, encourage this kind of activity within parks but across the whole of the country. How did you become involved in the Cairngorms National Park and how did you become involved in conservation generally? Oh, I suppose my interest in rather old-fashioned ways starts off with the ladybird books you know what to look for in summer what to look for and uh, you know, in spring, and uh, as a child, remember reading these and the Observer Book of Butterflies and things like that, and you you carry that interest with you. Um, uh, later on, uh, when I studied at university, I did landscape architecture, uh, and I've been a landscape architect uh, rather than an ecologist, which probably underlies why my interest really is around landscape scale and how landscapes work together. And I've never found somewhere like the Cairngorms that really emphasises how ecology and landscape are not separate disciplines. They're part of the same process. Um, and what I love about working with um, ecologists and on conservation is the way that you can build these layers of interest. So we have, of course, the... Um, uh, you know the, the birds and the mammals which are well known but then we have the stories about invertebrates and how they drive the ecology of woodlands we have the stories about the fungi and how they permeate through woodlands and other habitats and they all work together and it's that whole package that is so fascinating and here in the Cairngorms we see so many good examples of that it just makes it a really wonderful place to live and work there are occasions in life when you do have a, a sort of uh, a revelation moment. For me, one of them um, was coming up 14, 15 years ago when I first came for an interview here, not having been to the Cairngorms before, but coming in from Inverness, having flown in and drove through the Slocht. <clears throat> and at that point, there is the most wonderful panoramic view as you come down from the Slocht and just stopping in LA by and going, wow. And it was one of those things that made me realize that this is a different place from anywhere else in the uk um, the landscapes here go beyond just beautiful they're sublime they, they, they go beyond that and that's really inspiring and that that generates a passion and a love for a place like this 
the place I really like to be is on one of the hillsides in the, the pine woods, sitting there amongst moss-coloured boulders, being surrounded by tall, mature trees. I just love that sense of being in a natural place, um, especially when you can't hear anything. It's such a quiet, silent place. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's very special. And what does that make you feel like when you're in that place? Um, utterly relaxed, really. Mm -hmm. um, kind of, it, it brings you home. It, it's a very, perhaps a primeval feeling. I don't know where it comes from, but uh, it just makes you feel very relaxed, mm -hmm. especially if it's a nice warm day. <laughs> Alongside the Cairngorms National Park Authority, RSPB are the other lead partners. They help to provide some of the funding, as well as some of the infrastructure needed to help everything run smoothly. They also host myself, the project officer, and the project manager, James Sylvie. Okay, so Species and Habitats Officer, I suppose, doesn't mean much as a title, but my day-to-day -day work is working on non-avian conservation projects, so the non-bird side of things, uh, for RSPB Scotland. So RSPB is a nature conservation organisation. We can't work on birds in isolation, you know, although that is our speciality, we work on all taxa, our reserves are home to all wildlife. Um, and my focus is uh, developing conservation projects both on and off reserves uh, on uh, non-avian uh, conservation. Yeah, and I guess birds need all parts of the ecosystem to yeah. survive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that you often get that you know, you're working on the food for birds, but you know, there's, there's also more to it than that as well. I also work on um, things as diverse as wildcats and mountain hares and all sorts of things. So... Uh, yeah, it's it's part of the the whole thing. You can't, like I said, you can't work on birds in isolation. Um, and tell us about how you've been involved in Rick, and yeah, from the beginning. Okay, so I'm the project manager uh, for Rick, which basically just means that um, I yeah oversee now what Gabby does, the get the good work that you do. Um, from the beginning, I guess, it all started between me and Craig and Cadden, who works for Bug Life. We kind of came together and thought about a project for the um, Cairngorms National Park. The Cairngorms National Park had uh, an action plan, and we saw that as a perfect way of delivering for some of the species listed in that action plan. So there was a number of invertebrates that had actions listed against them, and we thought, well, if we can develop a project that uh, fulfills our aims and our wants for some of these species as well as the parks, then that would be something that, we, that would really help and drive the conservation of these species forward. So we worked on bringing that project together, um, sourcing the funding, uh, bringing together the project partners, and thankfully it worked. And what are we now, three, four years on from maybe those first early conversations, uh, Rick's storming ahead, just finished its second year of fieldwork. Um, and I guess it just shows you how important having a national park that has a kind of species list on it because then you can obviously make a connection with them and then work more closely with them to achieve sort of really important Scottish conservation goals. Yeah, absolutely. The um, action plan that the National Park has was was vital, really, for bringing Rick together. It, it was a really clear steer for us about what their priorities were. Um, RSPB has a list of priority species, as does Bug Life and you know many other organisations. And so because at the very early stage of the Kangons Nature Action Plan, we had inputted into that, you know, we knew that those were the species that 
you know, we had an interest in and that other partners that we were going to be working with, such as Butterfly Conservation, you know, they, they had a vested interest in. So it just worked. It was a perfect catalyst for, for Rick, really. Cool. Um, and more about you, um, why nature conservation? Oh, God, the killer question. Well, I suppose it's not, actually. Um, I've always just been interested in, in wildlife, you know, from a, an early stage, like a lot of people, I guess. You know, it's 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 animals, it's it's visits to the zoo, it's visits to out in the countryside, you know, your, your first experiences of bees, ladybirds, frogs in the pond, that kind of thing. Uh, watching David Attenborough documentaries, there's, there's really, it's always just been wildlife for me. And then as I grew older, I suppose that kind of changed from, you know, the a kid who's interested in animals all they think they can be is a farmer a vet or a zookeeper and I guess it, as I got older I kind of realized that what I really wanted to be doing was helping wildlife and working in conservation and feeling like I'm trying to make a difference and that kind of developed I suppose into looking at the smaller things and the things that are a little bit forgotten in a way you know if it's got fur and feathers there's generally going to be someone who's looking at it or wanting to be looking at it or an organization trying to take care of them at least, where sometimes the in inverts and smaller things get a little bit forgotten. And so I suppose that's kind of been my focus at the RSPB for the last five years, is trying to raise the profile of that and developing projects that can help deliver the conservation for the, some of these species. Great, well you've obviously done a good job because everyone talks about inverts now. Well, <laughs> have I or have you, <laughs> Team effort. <laughs> um, and is there any particular can you think of a particular or a few particular significant moments that made you think that wildlife conservation was a career for you? Yeah, okay. I, I think, to be honest, it's not... You know, maybe people ask this question, they'll, they'll talk about like seeing some particular wildlife spectacle and things like that. I, I've, I've seen some incredible things and I'm very lucky to have experienced them but I think it's actually the people that I've met and I think the the idea of having a, a mentor is so important in, in loads of different careers but particularly in conservation. Conservation is incredibly difficult to get into. You've got to work incredibly hard to get a you know a job in conservation and the, the competition is really fierce and so to have someone who um, inspires you, who guides you and kind of uh, shows you how it keeps you going really through the hard times because there is going to be hard times where you know you're having to volunteer for long periods of time and you don't know where the next job's coming from so I think it's actually the people that I've kind of worked with throughout like my early career and, and my career now you know there's of course you're still learning and there's people that I work with now who are an absolute inspiration from the work that they do and yeah I think that's it it's, it's the people that you have around you and so my advice to anyone who wants to get into conservation is find yourself a mentor someone who has the time to give to you who inspires you who yeah makes you remind you why you want to work in conservation and yeah latch on to them and why invertebrates you've obviously said why it's important that we kind of focus a bit more on them and because they often get forgotten but they're a really integral part of making an ecosystem function mm. um but what is it about them that uh, captures your curiosity and I, I just i find them completely fascinating because they're so accessible you know you can someone who owns a tiny patch of garden 
you know, if they've got some flowers in it, they can go out and they can see bees, they can see butterflies, they might be able to see ants or ladybirds, you know, it's all there in this micro world. You don't have to have, you know, a vast expanse of land that you can wander through to see, uh, see invertebrates. You can see them in your own garden where, you know, f birds are quite accessible, I suppose, from that because, you know, you get birds coming into your garden. But I always just found invertebrates are a lot more accessible. And the other thing as well that in that really attracted me to invertebrates is there's so much that's unknown. You know, there's so much known about birds and so much known about mammals because we've studied them in such great detail. Where for invertebrates, quite often, I remember when I, like, as a kid, I used to be flicking through books and you'd see, you know, some fantastic beetle and all it would all it would say as a description is the name, roughly where it's found and what food plant, you know, it might be found on, and nothing else about the ecology or you know the behaviour of it. And that always interested me. It's finding the unknowns and. Entomology, I mean, Britain has a fantastic wealth of knowledge from uh, uh, from an entomological point of view, but we've still got loads of unknowns and there's still loads to discover and that's really exciting. Yeah, I think that's one of the most exciting things for me is that there's lots to, there's lots to discover. I think what attracted me to insects was first learning about how, how important they are for the for the ecosystems and what a big impact they make and how understated that is because mm -hmm. obviously everything they do is in the background and the influence that they have on the plants and, and everything but then it was the behaviours and I think if you have any sort of interest in behavioural ecology or animal behaviour then the only place to look is insects mm -hmm. because birds and mammals are interesting because they've got similar behaviours to us but insects are like a or even invertebrates are completely alien worlds and they have so many cool interesting adaptations or ways of doing things or yeah yeah and the relationships as well that they have with one another as well are just mind-boggling because they've been around for so long they've some of the relationships that they developed are just so intricate you know I remember the first time like you know I saw a, a small white caterpillar like bursting with parasitoid grubs I mean it's absolutely gross but like incredible as well like yeah. that something like that happens like just in your garden on your cabbage patch yeah very cool yeah it's very cool or even like you can find ants farming aphids in your garden yeah I'm in the middle of Edinburgh city centre mm -hmm. and I can go into my little little city garden and there's invertebrates doing agriculture and mm -hmm. they have been doing agriculture for millennia before we even came along and yeah they're not even away we're there are they yeah no they're just yeah, yeah doing their thing yeah yeah um last question mm -hmm. um if you had unlimited powers what one thing would you do for scottish conservation like you can have superpowers as well as like being the first minister or whatever yeah so I can can I restore like I can restore habitats yeah I? I can do well I, I think I'd definitely do that I think it can sometimes be a bit depressing driving through like the uplands of Scotland and you know just seeing uh, a really barren landscape and I know that there will be some out there who really want to fly the flag for moorlands and that's absolutely fine but such a massive amount of our uplands are dedicated to one land use you know if we could 
if I could snap my fingers and turn a, a big proportion of that back to ancient Caledonian pine woods or you know ancient West Atlantic oak woodlands, you know that kind of thing, that would be absolutely amazing. Something like that, because you know you drive through some areas of, of Europe where they still have those those properly wild landscapes where ecosystems are running the way that they're meant to be with minimal human intervention and that is just something that Scotland really is lacking and yeah that's what I'd do. Yeah I guess that would bring back the magic. This week I wanted to give you a flavour of the kind of people behind this project I often feel that we get a lot of the statistics and the results and all the interesting information that comes from conservation but we don't often get to meet the people and the the emotion and the hard work and the feelings behind what people are doing to try and conserve nature in Scotland. I think it's really important that we get to meet those people and and, and learn about who they are and why they have chosen to instead of living a life pursuing wealth and um, riches, they've instead dedicated their life to try and conserve Scottish nature. I think it's important we celebrate these people. Um, and so for the next episode, we're gonna be meeting some of the volunteers. Um, so this week we're focusing on sort of the minds behind the project, but next we're gonna be meeting some of the really hardworking people who are spending all their spare tri time trying to conserve insects and, and trying to find all these amazing creatures. Um, and we'll do a bit of celebrating with those people. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time.